Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Chrissy Long at Blissful Birthing, and today we have a really inspirational, amazing guest all the way from Scotland, or for me, she's all the way from Scotland because I'm in Costa Rica. <laughs> um, Victoria had her fourth baby, her third baby boy, uh, about two and a half months ago at home. She free birthed him during the whole COVID-19 um, episode, and not only that, she actually had had the coronavirus herself a few weeks prior to giving birth to him. So she really is absolutely amazing and inspiring. I don't think many people have that story. Not only did she do all that, but she's also just recovering from sepsis. She had a horrible kidney infection a few weeks ago. Um, and she's here. So, wow, you cannot keep this woman down. She has lived in, I don't even know how many countries she's lived in. I met Victoria, what, eight years ago in Spain? Mm -hmm. And since that time, how many countries have you lived in? It was seven years. It was seven countries in seven years. Wow. So she's a mover and a shaker, that's for sure. And a lot of the time she does all this on her own because her husband works away half of the year pretty much on the oil rigs. Um, so I guess free birthing during COVID-19 was no big deal for you. Just like, <laughs> just another day. <laughs> um, and... All of this, and she still finds time to even like um, become a political activist. I just don't know how she does it. She puts me to shame. I don't know how she does it. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I just think, Jesus, okay, well, Victoria's like absolutely shaking the world up. So I'm sure you can have a shower and get some clothes on and sort the kids out. Oh. So yeah, it's no surprise really that Victoria's my first guest. I find her absolutely inspirational and amazing. And she's also been through huge transformational journeys when it comes to the, you know, the whole topic of birth. So I just really wanted her to share her story with you guys because I know that there may be a lot of you out there that are either um, having your first pregnancy and you might be really quite worried about how, you know, how to approach natural birth or um, you may be out there and have had a horrible traumatic first experience. Um, and that's really why I want Victoria to come on the show because she has done birth in so many different ways um she's pretty much an expert now so yeah if you could start victoria by just telling us about your first birth experience sure so i um as you touched on political activist my degree is in political science so i tend to attack all of life's problems by like show me the data and research so i read uh as dukens voraciously and just trying to absorb as much information as possible. So I approached pregnancy and birth the same way, and I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, the continuum concept really spoke to me a lot. And throughout this time, I kept touching on the concept of home birth and felt very drawn to that. However, uh, it was my first child. And at that point, I was going to give birth in Shetland, and the home births are supported by the NHS only if you're a certain distance from the hospital, which by the very rural nature of mm -hmm. Shetland is almost impossible, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that was like obstacle number one. Now, if I really wanted to, I could have made it work because my mother-in-law sister lives like very very close to the hospital, which we'll feature later in this story. Um, <laughs> but I was. I was drawn to it, but I didn't yet have the education, the self-awareness, the self-knowledge and self-worth mm -hmm. to understand that 
the only opinion that mattered in this conversation was mine and my intuition is powerful and that's enough when you yeah. add that with data like that should have been compelling enough but i wasn't there yet so i brought this up with a couple of people my mother-in-law and my mother namely and they were like oh, it's your first baby you don't know how it's gonna go uh you know um Difficult. you should really be in the hospital just in case something happens and for anyone listening who is a first-time mom, I would say so many people will say to you, but what if something goes wrong in the hospital? And I would love for you to counter that with, but what if something goes wrong because I'm in the hospital? Because right. nobody mentions to you the cascade of interventions that occur just by crossing the threshold of the hospital. That mm -hmm. was not brought up to me. I had done some research and I understood like C-sections weren't great and why natural birth was better. But even what that quote unquote natural birth meant, when you yeah. unfold the layers of that, um, you know, that's, it's, books have been written on just what that, what that means and how it's so different for each person. And you might have a very different idea of what natural birth means compared to the people that are handling your care. So yeah. what happened to me is my water broke first. And so I called the hospital. They're like, okay, come up right in. Um, so that was my mistake. Number one, mm -hmm. there is no medical reason for you to go in three seconds after your water breaks. Uh, really <laughs> anything up to 24 hours to 48 hours is completely okay. Yeah. Um, and we know people can go longer safer, but I'm saying like just strictly in the most like medical safest way possible. There was absolutely mm -hmm. no reason for me to go in that quickly, but that's what they said. So that's what I did. Cause that's who I was at that time. <laughs> so I, okay. got, yeah, I got in the car and uh, it was the middle of the night, of course. And we went in and I, I had my hypnobirth tracks on and I was really positive <laughs> and I was going to be amazing. That's going to be like the most chill woman who's ever given birth, which was um, very short lived. And even the midwives were like, wow, she's so positive. And the labor started getting more intense. And um, I, so I did 12 hours unmedicated, which I wow. think is really phenomenal because most people can have a baby in that time. Um, and yeah. after that, it just got really gnarly. And the biggest issue that I had was a lack of empathy and mm -hmm. a lack of awareness from the staff. So they just kept telling me to try and go for a walk. So at one point we walked to my mother-in-law's sister's house, which was quite close. Um, and we were still timing them. But during this, there's a massive festival in Shetland called Apilia, where everyone uh -huh. dresses like Vikings and carries torches. So this literally was occurring adjacent uh -huh. to the hospital. That's hilarious. At one point, what they, they make a tradition of is going and visiting the mothers that have given birth that day, and they take a photo together. So they entered the labor ward, apparently. No were so put off by my cursing and screaming <laughs> that they came in and told me to keep it down because I was scaring because they do the children's squad and the adult squad. And they said, you're going to scare the children. And I just literally turned and was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? So we get into the car park and you know, one hits me and I'm howling and screaming and crouching and this parade is walking by and my mother-in-law is like, you know, super I mean, she's wonderful, but like super British and like straight license. Like people are looking. I'm like, well, no shit. Like I'm, I'm in labor in the middle of a party when I'm so parade. Like, of course they're like, screaming at the top of my lungs. Like, of course they're looking. And again, 
I don't care. Um, so anyway, we did the whole trips up to up to her sister's house because they thought we should get out of the hospital for a little bit. Like that was going to be so relaxing. Yeah. And the tub there for a bit. And then we felt like things were progressing. So we went back um, and of course had more internal. So throughout this whole thing, everyone and their mother has their fingers inside me. Like it doesn't Come occur on. to me that I can tell them no. No. Um, they're not really asking my permission. It's more like we need to do this check because we need to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are checking me and they're telling me all this pain I'm going through. Oh, you're only this dilated. You're only this dilated. And it was nothing, you know? So basically I was effacing, but I wasn't dilating, which is yeah. like not that big of a deal and is, is totally okay. And I, you know, there was no there was no effort made to tell me I wasn't a failure and things were going the right direction. I was definitely made to feel like I was outside the realms of what they found acceptable and normal. Therefore my body and myself were failing. Yeah. Um, And as a super type A perfectionist, that was devastating. Devastating to me. Yeah. Especially all Um, those hours of pain and you're like, really? I'm not even progressing. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, there was no help and it was about 18 hours in that they realized the baby was sunny side up. So like face to pubes, you guys call it more in the UK. And so that was like the reason why everything, and there is a whole protocol and Ina Mae Gaskin um, kind of is uh, the first person that came up with the protocol, but there are things that you can do for a baby Mm -hmm. that's in that position to get them to turn, but also simultaneously to help labor progress. For yeah. example, um, you're supposed to get onto all fours, which nobody ever told me that. They just kept telling me to go for a walk, which yeah. you can't do when you're in back labor. Like really? I, you it's physically impossible yeah. because of where the pressure of where the baby is. But that's what they yeah. kept saying. So you're supposed to be on all fours when you're laboring. Nobody mentioned that. Um, and then there's other things like sitting on the toilet backwards, for example, to help these things progress. Uh, this is what I learned with my second midwife that there was all these things they could have done instead of just basically wringing their hands and telling me I sucked. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, about 18 hours in, uh, the, the woman that was on, so at that point they called in a consultant. They don't have actual upset, ups, uh, obstetricians in Shetland. Mm-hmm. So they only have GPs who have an interest in obstetrics. Oh, but they're not fully trained obstetricians. So she yeah. had had enough and wanted to go enjoy the party for the, for the Apilia. Oh. Wow. Cool. So she, yeah. So she was like, uh, okay, there's a medical flight to take a woman down to Aberdeen and have a C-section and we're putting you on it because you haven't dilated to five centimeters. It's safe. So you're going to get on. So it was selfish of you to ruin their festivities. I, I, mean, come I on. can. I mean, really. I know. What my life. So <laughs> they give me at that point some pethidin and, um, I had mentioned like me and pain medications are not great friends. We get into the ambulance. We're still in the driveway. And I said, um, oh, my God, I'm going to be sick, which is apparently super yeah. common with the pethidin. So they gave me a bowl, but I spewed to the top of the bowl and then started oh. choking. And in my involuntary flailing through the bowl of spew, oh. <laughs> the woman who was going to have her C-section so that was classed as like an incident. So they had to clean the entire ambulance because it was no longer hygienic. Oh, so we God. had to get out of the ambulance, right. go back into the hospital, wait until they'd clean the whole thing, then get back in. 
And then, what a drama. You can make a movie out of this. Yeah. That is incredible, isn't it, folks? I love it. Oh, this is the baby that was born two and a half months ago. He's absolutely gorgeous. Look at the little fella. I think you see there what Victoria's been through, like, just by going to hospital. So many things um, stalled, okay, Sorry, I'll probably have to come back. So she, okay, so we get back into the ambulance and we get to the the flight. And um, I'm super claustrophobic and it looked like a toy plane. Like it was the tiniest thing I've ever seen. So I just said to my husband, I'm going to close my eyes and yeah. you walk me on there and you walk me off and I'm not going to open them until we get off because I knew if I opened them and I saw how small it actually was, like I was going to lose my very, very, very delicate hold on, on reality. Wow. So well done for knowing that. Like. So, so uh, we get into the flight and it's only supposed to take a certain amount of people. So my yeah. husband had to ride on a wooden board on the toilet. Oh my Lord. Well, it certainly makes a good story. It must have been pretty damn stressful at the time. Yeah, because there wasn't enough seats. So he, we disembark, and at that point, I'm begging. I'm begging and pleading. Is it time for my C-section? Are they? Am I ready? And like, I had, had, I had a complete break with reality. I was begging them to kill me. I had really detailed instructions on how what they should do. So they should just like, let me kill myself. And then they could cut the baby out and then they could raise the baby and just tell him like, you know, I had really tried, but I just couldn't make it, you know, wow. and, like, really rationally, scarily just. Do you think that was the drugs or do you think that was just the amount of craziness that had been going on? It was the drugs and it was the insane level of pain. I mean, like back labor is not the same yeah. as normal labor. And the worst thing you can do is lay down on your back. And what was I doing? Laying in mm -hmm. this bed, writhing in pain because nobody was helping me. And I, I had no idea what to do to alleviate it. So I was oh. just holding onto these bars, screaming. Um, oh. The idea of active labor, sitting, uh, being on all fours, um, getting in that water, doing, holding onto ropes, doing something, you know, yes. none of that was on the table. Uh, so I, really lost it and we eventually so they eventually uh administered an epidural that was about 24 okay. hours in mm -hmm. and then i was able to sleep and rest a little bit and what felt like five minutes after i closed my eyes but i don't know how shortly after the baby's heart rate kept dropping of course oh, they don't tell you these things when they're giving you the epidural and stuff. no they don't tell you the side effects no so his heart rate kept dropping and what would happen is um the midwives would come flying in and they would throw me from side to side. Mm -hmm. so I was, I, obviously I couldn't move my lower body and I was exhausted anyway. And this was oh. supposed, this was supposed to get his heart rate going again. So Brilliant. every maybe half hour to an hour, the alarms would go off and they would come in and fling me about. Oh my and Lord. We'd go off what again. So Crazy wrestling episode. Eventually, <laughs> somehow because this is how remarkable the female body is somehow this voice inside me says i need to push 
Wow. And I was like, I, I, I need to push. I need to push. And they were like, well, hold on, let's check, you know, again. And they were like, yeah, you're fully dilated. Like you, you can push. And this, this woman comes over and she says, you have one hour to push the baby out or we're going one hour. To, or we are going to do an emergency cesarean. Oh, nice. And my mom gets on the phone and she had, she gave birth four times, three of them totally naturally, one time with an epidural because of a sunny side up baby who had ended up being delivered with forceps and it was really traumatic. So she gets on the phone right. to me and she says to me, you push with everything you have. Wow. And I was, you know, 25 years old, a lifetime of gymnastics and cheerleading and things. So I was strong Yeah. and I gave it everything I had and I pushed this just under nine pound baby out after 36 hours of labor on my back yeah. with an epidural. Wow. And he, he was born. Um, shortly afterwards, both of us spiked fevers. Oh. So they made us stay there longer. Um, and then eventually a few days later, we were able to get, um, so they fly you down in a medical flight, but they fly you home commercial. So oh. I, had to walk through Aberdeen Airport in pink polka dot pajamas and no shoes because I only had socks. No. And with a <laughs> newborn baby, you know, profusely bleeding, having just given birth. And, oh. and we eventually get home. And then a week later, I woke up screaming in pain saying, they left one inside me. Um, I'm in labor again. Oh we got rushed to the emergency room and they discovered I had a super, super severe, like life-threatening uterine infection. <gasps> so I was on antibiotics for several weeks, which- Why? What caused that? Was there placenta left inside or like, why? No, it was because my waters went so early and everyone and their mother was checking me. Like you, the worst <laughs> thing you can do when your water's- keep going up. Yeah, of course. Is, is to invite foreign things into the space. Like yeah. there's like actual, you know, what I would consider real holistic trained midwives would yeah. never do an internal examination unless it was 100,000% necessary. They would do like one maybe, yeah. you know, in that case that the waters had broken. These people were like, it was a, like, it was a field day. Every, everyone, everyone yeah. was inside there. And I changed hospitals and I transferred. And um, the biggest thing was this, it was a lack of transitioning care. So, when I transferred from Aberdeen, Aberdeen had been giving me my some medication because remember I had that fever, so they kept us longer. When I transferred back to Shetland, um, they didn't. And I even queried this and I said, oh, they had me on some wow. medication. I had a fever afterwards. She looked at my chart. She goes, oh, there's nothing here. And that was it. There was no follow-up. And I was too tired to advocate for myself. And I was like, yeah. okay, so that's what happened was the, the, the infection had been caught in Aberdeen. But then right. when I got back, and so it was allowed to get to such a dangerous okay. de de development. Wow. Um, so my husband after that never wanted to have children again. Um, oh, listen. Neither did I. And it wasn't really yeah. until my son was 18 months that I could really think about it. Mm -hmm. And I was transforming through this. So I breastfed through every shenanigan you can think of and was really learning the power of my body yeah 
and gaining that self-confidence that I wish all women would have entering this phase of our lives, which Mm -hmm. is you don't need to ask a doctor permission on what to do with your body. The idea that the medical establishment, are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to do that? That you don't need to even enter into that paradigm was so Mm -hmm. earth shattering for me that it really took almost two years to grasp it. And it wasn't until I became pregnant again and I was getting closer to my due date and feeling very passionate that I wanted to have a home birth, but I was really struggling to find a a midwife that I trusted in Greece. Mm -hmm. And I could have gone back to the States but it was so expensive and it was so much work. And I, I did, was it really necessary? Did I really need this? Did I really deserve this? Was I worthy of the expense and the 10 hour flight and uh, staying with my parents and all the upset and upheaval to my son, you know, could I, could I, could I do that? And it was at that moment and my husband and mother, because the first, like people go one of two ways when they have a medicalized birth, either they say, you know, fuck you to the establishment <laughs> Never and, that and they yeah. exit yeah. or they become beholden to the system and they say, oh, you saved me. Thank God I was in the hospital. Thank God yeah. you were there to give me an infection. <laughs> exactly. Thank God they, they actually caused it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. my, I, my mom and my husband were kind of definitely leaning towards the latter of being like, well, thank goodness you were in that space and that, you know, you, you, you just don't birth well and you obviously need this help and this just isn't going to work out. Yeah. You know, and like for people who are listening, I am five foot nine with massive Greek hips. Like if you wanted to describe (laughs) a body that was built for birth, like I would be a very good candidate. Absolutely. Um, and that's not to say that smaller, slim, you know, petite women can't give birth. That's not what I'm saying. No, but I'm just saying, like, the fat, the, the insinuation that I couldn't was ridiculous, was preposterous, really. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so I had a conversation with Miss Chrissy Long. And <laughs> I said, you know, you inspired me so much um, with your home birth stories and but how do I get them on board? Can you send me some resources so that they can see that it's safe? Like, I know it's more safe, but, and I know that I can do this, but mm. you know, they're really nervous. And you just sent me th- this message that like altered the trajectory of my life, which was like, it's not their birth. Like period. It was like short to the point sentence. It's not their <laughs> birth. <laughs> it was like, hold on a second. Why am I micromanaging everyone else's feelings and concerns? That's what women do, right? It's an, yeah, we shouldn't. We have to come first with a glue. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I, with that earth-shattering development, was like, I'm going to do this. And I found uh, a midwife because my parents don't live super close to the city either. So I managed to find one that would like her outer, outer rim of service was where my parents were. You like to make it challenging. Um, please. Yeah. Good stories. Yeah. (laughs) And so I found her and her, her price was twice what I could pay. And I I was like, okay, so this just isn't going to happen. And then on my birthday, I called her back. So that's May 27th. And I was due in September. 
I called, mm-hmm. I, we had touched base. I loved her, but I was like, shit, I can't afford this. I called back and I said, look, I am asking you as like woman to woman, mm-hmm. I have to pay to fly there. Like I can send you my tickets. Like this is what my outgoings are. This is how much I can afford. Can yeah. you find any way to help me? Wow. And that's so tenacious. Yeah. And she, <laughs> she called wow. back and she said, yes. Oh, that's amazing. So she took half of her normal fee and I got on a 10 hour flight from Greece uh, to New Jersey when I was just a four, eight months pregnant. So the end of July and I, and I was due Mm -hmm. in the middle of September. So I flew with my son and we got there and I had a prodromal labor because I like to keep it interesting. So that is, it's real active labor. It's not Braxton Hicks. Okay. Braxton Hicks are tightenings in, in your uterus. Prodromal yeah. labor is like you are having like three actual contractions in 10 minutes and they're regular and there's a pattern to them, but they peter off. Unbelievable. It is uh, super helpful, you know, um, so that you can have shorter, more productive labors when it comes time to it. But in the meantime, the emotional roller coaster of, is this it? Is this not it? Is this it? Is this not it? Mm-hmm. So I had five weeks of that and two uh, times where the midwives actually came to the house because we were all convinced this was it. Right. How exhausting, physically and mentally. So yeah. it wasn't until um, five days past my due date, because we all thought he was going to be early because of this back and forth. Yeah. Five days after my, my due date. Um, I got up around midnight and uh, you had also suggested that watching comedy in the beginning was good, like laughing helped the cervix open. So I put on, uh, what, what do you call this super movie? With the wolf pack. Uh, oh, I don't know that one, I don't think. Yeah, you, the hangover. I put on the hangover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you laugh out loud, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Laugh laughed my way through that and that was fine and then I went to put on something on after and that wasn't funny mm-hmm. and then but like I would have normally found it funny so oh, I, was I, like, okay. I was like shifting yeah and uh, my mom had gotten up at this point and at one point I started crying and then she was because we said we were going to call the midwife until she gave the okay like she's like I know what active 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 yeah. looks like and until but like, we're not going to call them again until like, you know, I see the whites of your eyes basically. So yeah, I'm on all four. Yeah. That's really key. Yeah. Right. Having, yeah. Having the correct support person is so key. Yeah. So key. Yeah. Because my mother-in-law is an amazing person and she was with me the first time. She is not the correct person for me to labor around. Yeah. Okay. And your husband? Me. My husband is, is my rock. He is yeah. amazing. And, um, so I'm on all fours and I start crying hmm. or something like that. Aww. She's like, okay, you can call them now. <laughs> uh, so we called and then we got Finley up and he got the birth pool together and I'm, I'm sitting on the, the ball and I got cold. So I went to lay down and I couldn't believe how the pain went from manageable to like off the charts unendurable and i thought oh my god i labored like this for like 20 hours like no wonder no wonder yeah. I, 
like a psychotic break with reality. <laughs> Nobody can handle that. And I could feel the difference. I got back in my birth ball upright and I was like, okay, we can do this again. Mm-hmm. But I had my arms around him and I hit transition and I'm saying, I can't do this. Take me to the hospital. And he says, um, that means you're so close. You know, he it was with all these one liners and he's <laughs> not that guy. Like he's more like deeds, not words kind of a guy. And so yeah. I remember I'm in like deep, deep labor, like literally in transition. And one part of my brain is like, check this guy out. <laughs> like I couldn't believe got all the words. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he was like, that he was like right in that zone. And he had like, you know, every affirmation that we had gone through, he was like, had them all checked and wow, what a guy. pulling them out at the exact right moment that I needed them. And then I was like, I'm going to be sick. I was sick. And I'm in my head. I'm like, yes, definitely transition. Like I was excited <laughs> to just get to that point. And, um, despite having been to the house twice, this is like the universe is funny. Uh, the midwives got one of them got lost. So only one was there. Of course. So, so it was fine though. I, so I got in the water and, um, they did check at that point and there was like a little lip. And so mm-hmm. this is, this is like how even the, the best midwives and the most well-meaning can like, de- like derail things. So it right. was the student and she's like, okay, yeah, but there's this little lip and I lost it. And I'm, <gasps> I started screaming, no, 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 no. And then the other midwife like literally grabbed my face and was like, yeah, this is not like last time. Oh, you wow. Good. Are, you are totally dilated. You are ready to give birth. You are going to give birth. Forget everything that just happened. Oh, thank and, God. I was like, and I just trusted her so yeah. much. And her mm-hmm. voice commanded that kind of authority. And, you know, I just everything inside me was like, okay. And I was able right. to pull back the panic and get totally focused again. Wow. And and she is amazing and pushed my baby out and just a couple of pushes and the whole thing was five hours start to finish wow they had told me to prepare for she's like after what you went through like usually what we say the good rule of thumb is like half it will take half as long for the second baby Mm -hmm. so i was prepared for like 12 plus hours so this five hour labor delivery was like and i was like high as a kite like I felt like I like there is nothing like that oxytocin rush like I was like like I am the best like I did this thing and he was perfect you know and my whole family was there and the biggest issue I had is like I have a few food allergies and after 36 hours of labor in Aberdeen they gave me lettuce with a few slices of ham that was all they could get (laughs) that was gluten and dairy free Come on. And so this time I had this like massive placenta smoothie that had like bananas and almond butter and all sorts of good stuff. And then uh, my mom, I was still eating meat at this point. She brought me like a steak and eggs and a bagel, like a gluten-free bagel. Yeah. Yeah. And I took a shower in my, you know, the shower I grew up showering in and I went into like my bedroom and the whole like my brothers my sisters like my parents amazing my older son like everyone was there and I just felt so supported yeah and in a in a way that like I just wish every woman could experience that 
because the the disparity between that and what I got in the hospital, which was mm. walk down the hall by myself, mind you. When I said this in my midwife, oh, wow. speech, she almost lost her mind. Walk down the hall. She walked me down there and she said, here's the, here's the thing you pull if there's an emergency. And then she left. I, Unbelievable. Yeah, I had like just given birth. So I'm like trying to shower, you know, shaking, barely able to stand. Yeah. Totally by myself. Yeah. And my husband had the baby down the hall. I would, they weren't, we weren't even together. Horrible, that feeling. Yeah. When you yeah. just had your baby. Yeah. So this was, wow. this was Night totally day. That's so, so fantastic. Thank God you took that decision. And I guess for your husband and your mom, it changed as well, right? Did they suddenly see the value in home birth? My husband is the biggest proponent of home birth now that you will ever, like he tells everyone, like you, this is the way to have a baby. Nobody, no nurses there bossing you around, separating you from your wife. You can shower. You don't have to worry about visiting hours. Like that was the hardest part was him having like, you know, he just watched all of this trauma. Like as difficult as it was for me to go through, he had to watch the person he loves most in the world go through this. And yeah, then he makes feel so me. impotent. And- yeah. Then he has to leave me and the baby behind for twelve hours overnight. Terrible. Yeah. No, that's not acceptable. Not at no. all. And so we were all there. And no, he loves it. My mom kept saying, "Oh, you got so lucky." Oh, yes, she was so lucky. She was so lucky. Mm-hmm. That was what she kept saying. My mom and says I, that to me. Even after like, excuse me. Like I'm prepared. Yeah. Um, Don't take that away from me. Yeah, exactly. I would say it was my second home birth that she was there for. That she finally stopped saying luck and started believing more in birth. Okay. Yeah. One second. For sure. Just gotta go tend the baby. He wants his mommy. Yeah. Isn't that an incredible story, ladies? Like, seriously, like night and day, her experiences. And it was because she took her power back and she prepared. Um, it's not that she wasn't, she wasn't still, you know, concerned or anything, but she had people that believed in her. Um, and here, this little And here's thing. number four. Hello, gorgeous. Time for those money milks. Yeah, changed. <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, How are you doing, Victoria? Because I know you're under time pressure. Can no, you I'm explain fine. to us the third and the fourth? Yeah, no, I'm totally fine. I'm feeding okay. the baby. So you might hear some murmurings in the background. But... Oh, that's gorgeous. We love those murmurings. Beautiful murmuring. <laughs> so the third birth was uh, we were living in Spain at this point. And... So every baby in a different country so far. Yeah, well, every baby was yeah. in different places, yeah. And I'm yeah. pregnant, and I'm usually pregnant in two to three different countries. So I had, so we uh, we were in the process of buying a house, and then Brexit happened. So I like literally in the same week found out I was pregnant with a child that wasn't expecting, and Brexit. This happened. one. This was my third one, but I yeah. desperately wanted a daughter. Yes. And my husband was very certain that. Everything was fine the way it was, and it was it was good. And um, you know, I am not like I don't know. I guess super girly. So he was like, "You're fine. Like you don't need like." He's like, "You're like those typical like boy moms that you see like on the motocross tracks. Like you like yeah. that's totally fine. That's just like stay in your lane kind of thing. Like you don't you you don't need to expand your horizons." And I really felt like you can't fight that yearning, can you, for a girl? No. I know. I, I really felt that. so I um we ended up trying to figure out where we were gonna go 
and then ended up deciding to go back to the States. Yeah. And the same midwife offered us the same deal again to take. Wow. Because again, that was all that I had by the time I paid for flights and moving like fees and everything to get out of Spain. Um, so at that point it was winter and it was just a really, really beautiful birth. I was more prepared for the prodromal labor this time. So we didn't, yeah. we didn't have any false alarms. I, um, was kind of like, that's okay, just what your, that's just what your body does. Yes. This is just my variation of normal. Okay. Uh, Yolanda yeah. Lewis Clark always says that. Um, mm -hmm. the birthing stuff, variations of normal. This is my variation of normal. Um, mm -hmm. and it might not be normal for someone else, but that's what my body does. And that's okay. So yeah, I, so you weren't panicking anymore. no, I was more prepared for that. And, um, we had the most beautiful birth in the, so this time we had the baby upstairs because it was the winter. So right in front of the fireplace, oh, um, how and they, we waited again longer <laughs> and I got to that like strip naked stage and they had said they were on their way and they were like, don't let her get in the pool till we get there. Cause they knew like it would just be quick at that point. And I uh -huh. heard a car in the driveway. My mom, I remember my mom saying, you don't even know that that's them. And I literally like NFL football style, like stiff armed her out of my way and got into the <laughs> pool. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, we're having a baby tonight. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Oh, that's right. So just to backtrack a little bit, it was uh, my first time going into labor during the day. Okay. So I actually went into labor. The kids, the boys were at nursery and my husband and I had just the most fantastic sex. And <laughs> I, you know, reached the moment of surrender and bliss. Yeah. And <laughs> after my orgasm, it, like it just kept going. And then I was like, wow. hmm. And then I'm like, I'm taking a shower. And then I had like, like, cause it was like quite long that after moment. And then I had taken a shower and then I had an, like another feeling. And I was like, oh, okay. So I, I think something else maybe. And we went and picked them up. And I had called the midwife because the night before I had had like a really great sleep. Cause you know, you struggle at the end, but mm -hmm. I had like really slept well. I had really good sex. And then... I was like, can you, like, does this happen? Like, you can have a baby, like, when you're well-rested and, like, okay? Like, how, like, I yeah. didn't experience with this. So sure, a lot like, of us are yes. Great yeah. combo. Yeah, so she was like, uh, yeah, Victoria, you're having your baby today. <laughs> um, so uh, I was like, you know, what should I do? And she's like, just go about your normal business. And my husband made the most gorgeous, like, roast chicken. And I had, like, a half, I had that, and I had a half a glass of wine. I was just going about my day and, um, nice, nice day. <laughs> and then the shift, yeah, then the shift happened. So I get, I get, in, I would phone them and when I got into the, into the pool and they came and they set up. So it was two midwives and a student. So there was three and they were like the three wise women sitting in uh -huh. the like, back light from the fire, very quiet, just holding space. Very and, good. And, I just really got this urge. So I put my finger inside and I was like, oh, this is where the head is. I like, this is where the head is. And I was showing them. And I remember going at one point, do you want to check? And they were like, no, no. Very good. 
we believe you. That's fine. Um, and I was like that goddess unchained, raw, feminine power. And I start saying, I am a fucking rock star. Yay. This is the part that I'm great at. And I remember my midwife saying, what a great thing to be great at. Like, what a yeah. wonderful thing to be great at. Because I always felt like my weakness was in that dilation phase, but the pushing was the easy part for me. Uh-huh. Um, so I was like really confident and, um, then her head came <laughs> out and I was like, okay, one more, one more push. And then like, you know, caught her and we sh- the cord was wrapped around a few times again, a variation of normal. And so uh-huh. we kind of unwound her and got her into my arms. And, um, so the, where things went a little bit off the rails, which was something that I learned was really important. And that's what led me to the free birth was I birthed the placenta really quickly and easily like every other time. But this particular midwife, it was the student was like, okay, can you cough a few times? But she didn't tell me like why Uh huh. she had this like furrowed kind of brow. And I oh. just went zero to a hundred. So in my head, I'm saying, Oh my God, the placenta's retained. Oh my God, I'm gonna have to go to the hospital. I'm in America. I don't have health insurance, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had two, right who had had retained placenta so I knew it was possible and that was like my nightmare scenario and I and the next thing I know I said I'm feeling sleepy and I passed out oh wow they like dragged me out of the water and (laughs) midwife is like in this like really authoritative voice a different one from the like it's the same it was the same team but not the same Uh that was in charge it was the one that had been a student when I had when I had my 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 first home birth my second son she'd been the student then so this time she was the lead midwife um, and she goes, stay in your body. <laughs> and she had this like, <laughs> weird tone that like brought me back to childhood. And I remember being like, okay. And like, I like came into myself again. Yeah. I was just wondering before I go out, I shall actually finish your food. So you can eat some. Oh no, I'll do it. Okay. Well then I, I'll get them ready and I think we'll take the Luna to the forest. Are you sure? If we get Penguin. In, into it <laughs> but otherwise we'll find something else right. um, she said what sorry stay in your what body stay in your body like stay in your body okay stay anybody yeah so i like came to really quickly to that and then that was it like everything was was okay but i never got that same high mm-hmm. that i had with my first home birth right and I was disappointed about that, but I didn't, I never put two and two together. I just thought, oh, well, that time that didn't happen. And I never felt that same, like, can't eat, can't sleep, like, I just want to smell you and consume you obsession mm-hmm. that I, that you get in that newborn phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that till she was about six weeks old and it was like here was this daughter I had yearned so deeply for and she was finally here and I'm like what the hell is wrong with me you know do I have postpartum is this what postpartum depression is like is what is there something is it me and Mm -hmm. then just kept nursing and loving on her and one day that happened and I said to my husband oh I love her and he like looked at me really confused and he was like well of course you do I said no you don't understand like yeah. that feeling and I started crying. Yeah, because I had been 
I, I think you feel its absence even more acutely when you, when you know what it should feel like. Totally. Yeah. I've had that too. And yeah, you just feel a bit numb and you're like, what's wrong with me? I'm going through all the motions. I'm yeah. feeding them, caring for them, but I'm not feeling that connection. Like you yeah. said, that overwhelming connection, I should say. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's when I, I why do you think that is like, well, I know you was, have a theory on that now. Yeah. It wasn't until I did um, a free birth course that I learned how important the third stage of labor is. Mm-hmm. And how important an undisturbed third stage of labor is. And it right. was at that moment that I put two and two together and I realized, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course we didn't have that connection. There's nothing wrong with me. And my birth was amazing. But that yeah. moment of when I hit fight or flight completely mm-hmm. destroyed my oxytocin high like it's such a sensitive hormone it's yeah. not going to come out True. when i think my life is in danger right so it was Same. wow but yeah just to know how incredibly sensitive we are right i mean look it makes sense you don't want to feel guilty and loved up if a, if a bear is coming to attack you when you're <laughs> you know no. like your body's yeah. responses like make sense if, the, mm-hmm. if you sense that there's danger, it doesn't know that the danger is a woman not explaining something coherently to you. It just knows there is danger and, you know, that adrenaline rush happens and Absolutely. your body does what it's absolutely so incredibly designed to do, which is mm-hmm. birth safely and also, you know, protect you and your baby. Yeah course it's the most vulnerable moment when you've just given birth to a tiny helpless little being so if you're scared at that point of course it's going to go off the scale yeah yeah makes total sense yeah so that brings us to baby number four yeah this one's recent birth which in a way is wonderful because i know you and your husband had said three that's it we're not having more than three definitely not yeah but i think this little fella was meant for many many reasons but one of which was almost to close the circle on your birthing story right to really do it all in power like even that third stage so yeah Yeah. tell us about it so it was prepare yourself listeners it's fraught with ups and downs as well (laughs) it was a totally unplanned pregnancy Uh, We were in Greece, and um, I didn't even realize I was pregnant until what I had thought, until I realized what I thought was implantation bleeding, what I thought was my period was implantation bleeding, because that was a Sunday, and there I was on a Wednesday with no periods. You're like, where is it? Where is it already? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, to be brutally, totally honest, like completely ambivalent with the concept. Um, Like I knew, obviously, I was like, there was no way in hell I wasn't going to keep the baby, but I was just, I just felt like I'd found my equilibrium with three. Mm-hmm. The idea of adding another one was completely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I was finally making progress like professionally. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, Oh my God, like, how am I even going to do this? But we just got, you know, the baby grew and everything went well. And then I found out he was a boy and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have three boys. Like, <laughs> Welcome to the three-boy club. Yeah. So <laughs> it's nuts. Um, and then 
It was pretty smooth sailing until March, um, early March. So I started feeling unwell and the coronavirus was like a thing. But basically I went into the doctors on a Wednesday and they told me like, come in. And you're in Scotland now, right? I'm in Scotland now. I have this like horrific cough. They're like, well, don't worry. It can't be coronavirus. You haven't been abroad. This is like a Wednesday. They tell me to come in. I'm like coughing all over the doctor's office. And then they're like, well, call us back if you're not better. I wasn't better. So I called back on Friday. Like everything had changed. The doctor was like, no, it's definitely coronavirus. We're going to send you to get tested. Then the local authority had decided, no, they were only going to do testing for hospitalization. So like I couldn't get a test. My husband was supposed to go to sea. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to fly to Singapore on like in like two days time at this point. Uh, right. So that he could have a short trip and then be back in time for the birth. Yeah. And um, I was just had no idea. So then they called back and then they were like, okay, well, come in. And they, so they diagnosed me with coronavirus uh, through um, observation, through clinical observation, uh-huh. rather than through an actual swab. And it was like rough going for about two weeks. There was a lot of coughing. I was breathing was difficult. Talking was impossible. God. And at this point I had been ranting a wee bit about it on Twitter and ended up writing like an op-ed piece that was published in the independent. And then had a few more interviews and then there was, yeah, there was some blowback from that. So I wasn't that impressed with the concept of, journalism to be honest with you um and just trying to keep this baby Why, what happened well it's just you know all sorts of opinions why had i gone into the doctors on the wednesday i'm like because they told me to and who was i to complain i'm like look i've been on hold for over an hour and like i'm having to explain things over and over again when i can't talk or breathe like this like the system is flawed and like it should be okay to draw attention to that. And, you know, mm-hmm. if a pregnant asthmatic woman who can't breathe can't get a test, like who can get a test? And like, obviously things have rapid, like changed so much since then. But yeah. at that point, it's like, you know, it shouldn't be a postcode lottery, but it also shouldn't be a problem of like, I'm sorry, I got sick too early in the pandemic. Yeah. She didn't have your shit together. Like, <laughs> be, be more prepared next time. Um, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I thought it was okay to, to draw attention to that and hoping that it would improve the situation for other people. Of course. Um, and then I went into, I guess it was like super early prodromal labor, but it was too early and it went on too long and it felt too intense. So I went to the hospital like a week after that. And, um, I was in there for like five, six hours, uh, with a heart rate monitor on the baby and stuff. And it, do you think it could have been all the intense coughing? Definitely. Um, yeah, I'm sure my uterus was like, that's enough of that. Um, yeah. And I was exhausted and everything else. And I think it was, I just needed even like, not that I wasn't resting, but like, you know, really, really. So that's what I did when I got out of there. I like just literally just stayed in bed for like a week. And did they give and you anything? Like, because they can't really give you medicines, can they, when you're pregnant? So they just monitored no. you or? Yeah. Okay. And so um, I really got my backup. Because at that point, they wouldn't let your partner in because of all the coronavirus uh-huh. um, regulations. And then they even said to me, if that, w- if that was me in labor, because he would be considered premature, 
let's say, I think it was about 33 weeks. Um, they would separate us. Wow. Negative tests had come through. So that was 48 hours. Yeah. And if it was positive, then we would have to remain separated. And they weren't even sure if they would oh. even take my milk if I pumped some. And I wow. just, there's no, like, there's no, there is no way that that, no. that I'm okay with that. Um, no. Simultaneously, about, not simultaneously, a couple of weeks later, I finally got to go for a checkup. So this was maybe like 34, 35 weeks. And the midwife was certain that he was breached. Right. Uh, and I guess he just had a really bony bum. But I was like, okay, well, that's fine. And she's like, no, you know, that's automatic C-section. I'm like, any room where someone is saying the word automatic anything to me, that's not a room I'm interested in being in. So I just <laughs> nodded and smiled. And I was like, okay, bye-bye. And I just yeah. got on the phone. I found like a bunch of private midwives in England because we don't have any left in Scotland. Right. And I said, you know, can you deliver a breech baby? So this is my situation. I've had three babies. First one was nearly nine pounds. Um, mm -hmm. Two successful home births. Second time, nobody even touched me. Like, I can do this. I, if you can, if you're happy to catch the baby, I'm happy to, to push the baby. Yeah. And yeah. found a great one. And then I said, well, look, I'm going to go for a private ultrasound to make sure. Yeah, check that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. before I drive my family, because she was mm -hmm. like down by Wales, you know, before I drive my family like eight hours across like Scotland and England, because we're yeah. all over the islands, then like, let me just double check. So I did that the next more the next day. And turned out he was in the perfect position for birth. And he was head down and like, exactly the way that he should be. Um, wow. Did you go back to that midwife and say you got it wrong? And you nearly... Uprooted yeah. my entire life. Yeah. Your stupid comments. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, well, I mean, I just said, I think. Oh. Yeah. But then they you all messed said, with your life. Yeah. But then you also said automatic C-section. Yeah. Like, yeah. So and if you hadn't been an experienced birther, that, you know, you would have yeah. probably changed everything, gone to hospital, blah, blah, based on no truth. They okay, kept sorry. like, oh, we have time for him to turn and blah, blah, blah. But you could just see, like, it wasn't this, it wasn't the support of, like, of course, we're going to birth the way that you think best and, you know, we'll figure yeah. it out and we'll try it anyway. So that kind of got my back up. Um, but mm -hmm. I called the, her back and I said, look, uh, thank you so much for offering your services, but he's not, he's not a uh, breach. He's head down. So I'm going to just stay here rather than uproot my, you know, my three other children and the dog and everything else. And she said to me, well, listen, I think you're making a mistake because they're already canceling home birth NHS support here in England. And mm -hmm. because of the coronavirus, they're saying there's not enough resources and don't be surprised if that happens to you. And because I'm a little cynical, I was like, well, that's just like a market employee, you know, like, of course she's got yeah. it. paying my four grand or whatever. Yeah, tactic, um, yeah, And I felt really badly that I thought that of her because what ended up, so I called them back and I said, look, he is head down. And, um, and do you have any, have you heard anything about cancel? No, no, we're not going to cancel. Don't even worry about that. It's definitely not a thing. That was what I was told. <laughs> and then whatever ends up being, must be another two weeks later, they called and said, um, by the way, uh, we are canceling all the home births. 
in this area. We have to, you know, use our resources well, and we just don't have the resources to support home birth. So your home birth is canceled. And I really abruptly hung up and just lost it. Like I was in hysterics. I had no idea what to do. I had been mental. I had been like researching. I kept seeing the free birth society on my Instagram and being like drawn, but the course was like 300 pound. I was like, again, do I deserve to spend this much money on myself just because I'm interested in something? Who am I to justify that? Um, And I was interested. It wasn't a necessity yet, you know? So I kept clicking and not clicking and clicking and not clicking. And and I, I did some research. So after my hysterical breakdown, I ordered the free birth book by Sarah Schmidt. Because mm-hmm. that was obviously more affordable. So I said to my husband, look, I'm going to order this. And if it resonates with me, then I'm going to need to buy that course. Because it was done by different right. people, but it was, you know, about free birth. Yeah. So I read that cover to cover, you know, the Victoria treatment highlights, taking notes in the corners. And just mm-hmm. what's amazing about Sarah Schmidt is she is a medical doctor. Like she's a trained physician. Right. And she had... Uh, first home birth and then free births after that wonderful and she's a massive advocate for free birthing and how birth is inherently safe and it's like when you flip this whole idea on on its head and you're Mm -hmm. like oh of course birth is safe because like otherwise how would the human species have survived yeah this amazing midwife that i had that made it safe which even though she was amazing it was my body that made it safe Mm -hmm. and and while I appreciated the safety net of having her there, that wasn't what made it safe. I made it safe. We made it safe. Mother nature made it safe. Me and this baby working together made it safe. Me feeling safe made it safe more Mm -hmm. than anything else. Yeah. Not messing with me and, and turning lights on and yelling at me and telling me I was a failure and giving me a million internal exams. And, yeah. you know, calling my husband to go away and all of these things, not interrupting is what made it safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I read the book and then I did the course and it's like, it's quite a lot. It's like 50 hours and I did it in a, in a week. So it was just all day, <laughs> every day. This is what I was doing was like listening to this and, and doing supplemental research and stuff. And uh, I, I, at the end, so they were like, they wanted to get, wanted to like get everything organized for my hospital birth and I was like um I had so I had been interviewed uh for the guardian mm-hmm. being pregnant during the coronavirus and people who had had their home births canceled and what we were like planning so right. there's me in the guardian the picture of me pregnant proudly announcing the world of another free birth and my midwife mm-hmm local midwife calls me and she's like, so it's been brought to our attention that you're thinking <laughs> of doing a birth. Um, some people spotted your article. And I was like, all right. Uh, so I had like put that conversation off as long as I could. But I, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm planning. Um, yeah. And they were like, oh, well, did you realize this? Did you realize that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they said, well, we're going to have to refer you to the obstetrician like whatever, like kicking it up a notch basically. And then uh-huh. this man, this ops, I guess he was obstetrician calls me up. And so, you know, that your home birth has been canceled. And I said, uh, with all due respect, uh, you can't cancel a home birth. Uh, women yeah. where and how they choose. I understand the NHS support 
for home birth has been withdrawn, that does not mean that women won't be giving birth at home. And he was like, oh, 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 kind of all flustered. Good for you. Love it. It's totally calm and chill. Um, But I just, you know, the women struggle. But yeah, it's like women struggle so much to advocate for ourselves. And it's like, Lord, let me wake up one day with the confidence of a man telling a woman he's never met. He knows nothing about me and my history. Telling he's me, never given birth. He's never given birth. Telling me where and how I would be safest giving birth. And I mm-hmm. was like, well, you'd be safest in the hospital. I said, oh, okay, well, you know, with all due respect, I will give birth how and where I seem safest. And under the Human Rights Convention, under Article, whatever I knew off the top of my head at the time, I think it's Article 6, you know, I, it is yeah. a striking law that I can give birth how and where I deem safest. So I'm Good. fully aware of my rights and I will be exercising them. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Um, oh, wow. That must have felt so good. It did feel, it did feel really good. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I was fully prepared. And then they flipped the switch again, the script again. And then it was like the Saturday before my due date. They said, well, if you give birth Monday through Friday during the during business hours, we'll attend your birth. And I was like, oh, how oh, very wow. nice of you. Um, so, you know, like I can definitely schedule that. So I'll just like speak to my boss and just make sure that he enters the world at a time that's convenient for you. <laughs> um, and I was, I was so sure he was going to come on a Sunday because I'd had that prodromal labor hit really hard like the two previous Sundays in a row. And I was just like, I just knew he was going to come. And once he said that, once she said that, I was like, okay, so he's definitely coming on a Sunday. <laughs> There's no way. Um, rebel. Yeah. He was determined. He's like, we don't follow rules. Thanks anyway. Yeah. Um, so they dropped the stuff off for the home birth. And even that was like, no, at that point, I'm sorry. At that point they dropped off the oxygen and things like that. The, and the, the, the gas. And yeah. They dropped that off. And then it wasn't until my actual due date, which was the following Wednesday, that they were like, okay, so actually we haven't, you know, been as overwhelmed as we thought we were and we've revisited the decision and we can support home births now. And I was like, oh, so they, great. So they dropped the stuff off and even just having it in my house, I was like really uncomfortable. It took up almost a whole room. Mm hmm. Like my free birth supplies could like fit in a bowl and right. like their home birth supplies, like literally almost like, like what, what is half of this crap? Yeah. Um, and so they, so then at this point they came for a checkup on the Friday and uh, now I'm overdue. Now it's like, so when would you like to have like the induction conversation? Oh. I, was like, oh. I would like to have the induction conversation when I am at 42 weeks plus one. We can mm-hmm. have the conversation. Okay? Yeah. Until then, we don't even have anything to talk about as far as I'm concerned. Good for you. So, this comes from a pro mom or really knowing your stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So uh, that was the Friday. And then I kept niggling at me because I wasn't sure if Loki, because he was my latest one, if he had come at 40 plus five or 41 plus five. So I had, I was, I thought it was 41 plus five. So I was like, we might be in here for a long haul, but I thought mm-hmm. it would be special to Ken, like what my variation of normal was. Yeah. Um, 
just because my daughter had come actually a few days before her due date. So oh. like all over the place. My first was exactly in his due date. Loki was late. And then my daughter was, er was a few days early. Like, I mean, not early. It was like 39 plus three or whatever. So yeah. he had been a maximum. And so on the Saturday, I managed to touch base with my midwife in the States and discovered it was 40 plus five, which would be the next day, which was a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Late at night. It was like 10, 11 o'clock at night, just before I was going to bed. And I'm not even kidding. As soon as I had that realization, I went into labor. Wow. Isn't that <laughs> mind powerful though? Isn't it's, that amazing? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, so that's what my variation of normal is. Immediately, immediately. Permission granted. Yeah. So I just laid down in bed, read this message, got back up again and told my husband, like, don't worry. Cause you know, we've had so many nights of, is it, is it internet? And went through and was really feeling things moving along and I woke him up and I was like, I think you should fill the pool. And I got into the pool even. And then my daughter comes through crying and she only wanted mommy. Like it had to be mommy. And I was like, okay. I like get out of the pool. And like, literally my body was like, okay, I got you. Everything just stopped. I cuddled. I think I got in a towel. I didn't even think I got dressed again cuddled her up and just like passed out into a deep sleep. This was at four o'clock in the morning and just slept until quarter to eight, like a super deep sleep. Wow. That's amazing. And, and got up, had some breakfast and they like kept coming. And I'm like, okay, so this is happening for real this time. Like, this has to be it, but felt okay. And really maintain, like it was the total polar opposite of all my other labors. So my other labors, I found the dilation phase, um, difficult. It was, it was work, you know, mm -hmm. and then the pushing was really easy. This was like, is this even really it? Like I would have a contract and then go back to like all of my, all of my children were gathered around me. We were in the living room. Again, it was during the day, which was what I had been trying so hard to manifest. Cause I like, I really enjoy giving birth during the day when I'm rested. Mm -hmm. And I know it's like different for people. Like some people prefer the privacy of nighttime, but I really wanted to just to, for it to be the daytime and yeah. we had these like blackout curtains and these beautiful fairy lights and we had music on and we were dancing and if you asked my second son what was it like when mommy gave birth like he said oh we had a dance party and then mommy got really loud <laughs> <laughs> but it was okay I just put my headphones on <laughs> um, like, that's like his experience of it so we I was on my birth pole we were dancing everything was cool and then like I felt a shift and I got to that like naked phase. And at this point we had decided we weren't even going to call these people until the baby was delivered and the placenta was delivered. Mm -hmm. And I had had that golden hour with my baby. Wow. Yeah. And at that point we would call them. So I wasn't even sure if I wanted, we had found this beautiful, wonderful woman, young girl to be mm -hmm. uh, a doula. And she had just the most incredibly calming energy about her. Yeah. But I didn't know her that well because of coronavirus. We had only gotten together twice and like gone for walks outside. Like we didn't, hadn't had time to like build up a rapport. And I yeah. just wasn't sure that I wanted her there. Right. But I get in the pool and I started pushing a little bit and I could feel where his head was. And I was like, okay, like, I guess if you want to call her by the time she gets her, the baby will be out. Mm -hmm. Famous last words. Cause that's how it worked with all my other ones. I got in the water, you know, I three pushes and the baby was out. Like 
wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like it never occurred to me, but go any other way. So I start pushing like nothing's happening. His head is not getting any further down. I'm not Uh feeling that ejection reflex. I'm not feeling that uncontrollable urge to push. It's like, eh, like, eh, yeah, I could push. Eh, like a strong contraction. It feels kind of good to push during it, but nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. Then, then she arrives and I'm like, okay. So I knew at that point it'd been like at least 20, 25 minutes. Ah. And like still nothing was happening. Then like I start really ringing myself out. So we had called both of the, the mother. So my mother and his mother were like on, on a WhatsApp video. Yeah. Watching, <laughs> nothing, watching nothing happen basically. Ah, oh, really you have to perform. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, turn it off. Like, just turn it off. Yeah. And I had a few more contractions that were like, just inc- like so incredibly painful. Yeah. So incredibly painful. And then like nothing was happening. And mm-hmm. I said to him, call the midwives. Call the midwives. Um, this isn't normal. I don't know why it's <laughs> taking so long. At least get me the gas. I can't, I can't take any more. Because this, tempta- this is like the temptation thing. I've never mm-hmm. had gas because in the States it's considered medicine and the midwives aren't allowed, like in my state, they weren't allowed to administer it. Ah, but just by having it in the house, I was like, okay, I want that. You know, now that yeah. I know it's there, I want that thing. Maybe and, that will help. Yeah. yeah. So I said this to him twice and apparently he said in his head, okay, if she asks more than three times, then I'll do it. Right. But he saw this. And knew I was in transition. My stupid right. ass thought I was just going to skip transition <laughs> this time <laughs> <laughs> because it had been so easy up until that point that it was just going to be easy the whole time. Right? Yeah, it's like no reality check. You still have to do the work. Yeah. So I didn't really didn't put two and two together, but until afterwards. But I'm saying, just call my midwife. You know, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and um, and then. I like floated up in the contraction and I just, some part of me was like, there's too much water in here. Like I shouldn't be that light. And like, how is the baby even going to like, there's not no impetus for him to go down if I'm floating up. Right. But I was so scared to get out because I knew how powerful the water was. as like a pain relief. And I felt like I couldn't handle any more pain mm-hmm. or contractions. And after the second one, I'm like, you know what you got to do. Like just Help put gravity. On. Yeah. you got to get out. So I just like declared what was seemed suddenly to them, but I've been having the conversation in my head for like 20 minutes. And I was like, I'm getting out. <laughs> so I like, get out. And Damn it. because we'd had the other children in the water, it never occurred. Here's a, here's a top professional tip for anyone considering a home birth. It never occurred to us to have like a landing area on ground in case the baby yeah. came out on the ground and not in the pool. So yeah. there was this adorable little tiny towel at the foot <laughs> where we had put like, like, you know, like the, the children's step stool so I could get in and out. <laughs> so I get one foot on the stool and one foot on this tiny little towel and I feel the gravity of the entire world descend <laughs> on top of my head, just go like, boom. Well, what I imagine falling in an wow. elevator, like, you know, when the, like, like, yeah. falling the elevator like breaks like that descending feel like that's what I imagine it feels like just woof. 
and I get wow. onto all fours, and then I, and I was like, my, I was like, I felt a little trickle. I'm like, my water, and it's like, then it was like movie style, like Niagara Falls, all this water's flowing out of me. <laughs> I was like, my water, yeah, that's breaking. And then my husband's like, oh, on the carpet, not ideal. <laughs> Seriously? Of, Seriously, one part of me was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so the so he comes flying out and what's normal is the baby's head will come out first and then they'll rotate and then you'll push again and then like at that point the shoulders and maybe one other push depending on how it works for you but yeah. this kid was like on a mission so <laughs> what i realized afterwards what happened was was his head and his shoulders and most of his arms came out so when I put my hand down, I felt bone and I was convinced that he was breech and that I was feeling legs. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking in my head. And on the next one, I'm like, you got to get this kid out now. Cause I'm thinking I only have a limited amount of time, his head. And I'm like, you got to just next one falls to the walls, get it done. And <laughs> I was on all fours and some part of me was like, someone has to catch him. Cause like, hello, I'm holding myself up. And the doula. Yeah thank God was there as my husband was at uh -huh. my head and she called him and she was so amazing. She handed him to me so quickly. I almost thought I call him before I realized it wasn't physically possible for me to be on all fours <laughs> and simultaneously catch him. Like, even though you are a wonder woman. Yeah. yeah. Even uh, obviously someone else had to have. So I was like, afterwards, I'm like, Oh, by the way, who caught him? <laughs> and it was, it was <laughs> Lucia. Um, so so she caught him and then I just started screaming, you know, like I did it all by myself. And there was an incredible moment where he's half in, half out. I'm having this all about whether or not he might be breached. Everyone's talking and murmuring and, you know, things are happening. And all I can hear above everything is my oldest son go, one more push, mom. You can do it. Just one more push. Aww. His was the voice that cut through all everything else all the noise all the noise inside and you know internally and externally that's what I heard I pushed again in like an eighth of a second this baby was in my hands I sat back I'm screaming I did it I was so proud and elated and just feeling all this amazing high and then I felt like a little like a warmth and I was like I think and my husband goes yup and then the placenta just comes flying out of its own accord <laughs> and there's like Blood all over the screen carpet and I was like okay so that, <laughs> that happened. whatever there are worse things yeah and then we got up and I had like gone over to the rocking chair and she made me a placenta smoothie and like some electrolyte drinks and we did this beautiful cord burning ceremony and at um so when we went over I'm sorry when we went over to the rocking chair at that point I had the smoothie we were like, okay, it's going to take them like a half hour to come. So like, well, you can call her now. Mm -hmm. And we had just finished the cord burning ceremony, literally, as she, as she pulled up. Um, cool. And the midwife came and credit where credit is due. She did not give me shit. She just Good. said, congratulations. You did amazing. He's perfect, you know. And then she checked us and it was totally, it was totally fine. I know it wasn't her preferred method, but credit where credit is due she yeah. really she really res there was definite respect for the sacredness of what had just occurred 
That's amazing. That's good. That's yeah. the support you needed, right? Rather than being told off at that stage. So out of all those births, which one, if you had to choose, was your favorite? I would, probably, I would probably say my first home birth, my birth, my son Loki was my favorite because that was when I, I learned, I was getting all choked up. That was when I learned how powerful I am. And it was so much easier to do the other ones, but it was that experience I had to go into blind, not sure if mm -hmm. all my convictions and my intuitions were right. Yeah. If all, the, all my research, you know, preparation, if it would all work out, I, it was, that was the leap of faith and mm -hmm. it was perfect. And that moment of being like with my mother who wasn't there for the first time. And that moment of my husband coming out with these amazing one-liners. Yeah. And just that feeling in that room of all of that love, it was amazing and I just so desperately wish that that was the norm for every woman well that's what we're trying to do here at blissful birthing with people like you sharing their stories to avoid the trauma and even if someone has had the trauma to say you can turn it around it doesn't mean it has to be like that every time you know yeah. there's like you were saying there's nothing wrong with your body it's the way that the you were not supported yeah the way you were not supported so yeah that brings me to just some closing things because I know you're a busy mum of four, but why do you think the system is the way it is? Like, why do you think we're not doing this home birth, free birth support more? So there is a book that I recommend everyone read because it's super short. It was originally a pamphlet. So it was published yeah. in, I think, 1972 uh, called Witches, Nurses, and Midwives. And yeah. that walks you through the exact moments in time when women lost their power. And in essence, what happened is the church was an incredibly powerful force and there came to be the predominant belief that it was up to God whether people lived or died. And we're yeah. all familiar with the burning of the witches, um, you know, thinking of, oh, they hexed someone or they did these negative things. What mm -hmm. I was not familiar with until I read was the hatred that so many in the church at that time felt for what they called the white witches. So yeah. women that were actually adept at healing were persecuted. And we lost so much knowledge of natural healing and things at that point because it was seen that you were messing with God's will. And mm -hmm. they were actually harder and brought the hammer down more on the women that were seen to be helping. Right. And it wasn't until as humanity was coming out of the Dark Ages that this need for this knowledge came forward, um, but it was tightly controlled by the aristocratic circles who then started training the doctors who had this hand-in-hand -hand relationship with the church. So it was like, okay, we will start administering, you know, some med medicinal things, but only by this elite group of people and only holding the power this closely and only as long as women know their place in the pecking order, which is at the bottom. Um, right. And it wasn't until Florence Nightingale that women developed the role. But even she was from the upper crust of society. And mm -hmm. she would only allow her nurses to directly, like, she, that's the, how she was able to even get a foothold in, to follow the doctor's orders to, with, like, military precision. So they right. weren't allowed to think for themselves or do anything or actually have a real role. They were still subservient. And that mm -hmm. model carried on into modern times. 
So even now we have so many women in the medical system, they're still participating in a system that has been built and propped up by the patriarchy. So it's not until, because you will get many women obstetricians during this COVID who will say, no, we have to separate the mothers and the babies. No, the spouse can't come. You know, all of these things that are incredibly anti, that are incredibly misogynistic. And and you think, well, women can't be a misogynist, but you can, you can, you can internalize misogyny and you can prop up a system because you haven't really critically examined it and you can go Mm -hmm. into it the best of intentions. But what that system does so well is maintain the power dynamic. And what we need is more women having these goddess unchained moments so that Mm -hmm. they can be in their full power and look at that power dynamic and say, no. That is not how this is going to work. And you can walk into a doctor's office and they can talk down to you because they have a very nice day. You can walk your butt right back out and you can change doctors and midwives as many times as you want. And you can give birth without anyone. If that's what you want and you deem safest, because the way that this works best is that is when you feel safe, you will be safe. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so hard for, I'm, I'm sure a few listeners to know, how do I get to that zone though? Like, is it through reading books? Is it through, but often I think it's actually just through doing it, right? It's like you said, your second birth was the most amazing because you actually lived and breathed it. You walked the yep. walk, you talked the talk, you didn't just read the theory. Of course you need to do lots of preparation and have a supportive team around you and self-belief I and positive affirmations. But I by doing it, it's yeah. mind-blowing, earth-shattering. I don't want it to, like, I'm, what I worry, too, is, like, I don't want this movement to take on, like, a really, like, classist element where it's, like, only no. people who, like, only middle-class, well-educated, university-educated women can do the preparation. Like, you, you can do it because your body's made to do it. The only thing, the single thing you have to do is decide who is going to be in that room with you because that is going to dictate your success level. Because if my husband had taken me to the hospital when I begged that first time, you know, mm-hmm. or when I said to my mother, my second home birth, nice baby, when I said to my, to my, to my mom in the second home birth, I need to go to the hospital. I want to get the epidural or the third time where I was like, call the midwives, you know, they need to come now so they can give me the gas. If, if yeah. my support people didn't know that's what transition looks like and they had followed through mm-hmm. on that, I would have different stories. If they didn't believe in me and believe in birth, it would be different because you, every single woman, when you hit transition, no matter, even if you're superwoman, even if you've had six kids, you're going to hit that moment where it takes you to your maximum physical, emotional, spiritual ability, and you have to surpass it. You do. And you don't know that you can do it until you do it. So of course there's doubt. And what you need is someone in that room to hold that space, to let you walk through the fire and come out the other side, who will not doubt you. Can you imagine mm-hmm. the absurdity of meeting a marathon runner at the 24 and a half mile mark and saying, come on, come over here, come take, come take this injection, it's going to take all your pain away, I got you, I'll support you. You can't really do this. I mean, wouldn't you rather finish in a wheelchair? Wouldn't it be so much better if you could just stop now? Uh, I mean, we would never do that because we respect we respect that that feat and we should have the same respect for birth and we should demand it of and for ourselves. 
Absolutely. No, that sounds like an amazing note to finish on. Apart from what has it done for you? Apart from having an amazing birth experience three times, what else has it done for you? Because I think it goes far more than just the physical act of birth. For me, it's just given me access to this power I never knew I had in life when other challenges come up. Do you feel the same way? Like, I, yeah, I think my political activism, you know, I helped found an entirely new political party here in Scotland. Um, yeah. It was all women led. And I don't think that I would have had the strength to do that without this grounding of who I am and what my abilities really are. Um, mm-hmm. It's all intrinsic. I mean, that's why we're so dangerous. Why do you think all of these men throughout society have sought to control birth? Because when you control birth, you break women. And when you break them, you can control them. But a yeah. woman who has that goddess unchained moment, she's not going to take shit from the patriarchy for the rest of her life, whatever sphere it is, whether it's mm-hmm. advocating for your children in the school setting, whether it's advocating for yourself in a medical setting for other medical conditions or for your mother and her access you know, to healthcare and later in her life or to pensions, whatever situation you face, you're going to you're going to face that as a full strong empowered woman i know she can get through any adversity absolutely yeah it's so true it feels like you're born as a woman when you go through this birth experience so that's a big reason i'm doing this for birthing it's not just to help women get through their fear to power and to deliver the baby safely it's so much more than that because i just feel we need to to have that moment you know, we're like, oh my God, this is who I really am. Are you kidding me? Like, I never knew. Can and, I just um, one more thing, which is the best way I think that we can dismantle the patriarchy is to allow our men and more importantly, our sons to watch this moment unfold. Because yeah. when they see that, they also go into the world with that knowledge. And they also approach other women in their lives and other situations in their lives with that knowledge and that respect. I had my son climb into bed a few days after I gave birth and he's looking at his baby brother and he said, oh, mom, he's going to be he's going to be great. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, he has you as a strong mom to look after him. That's amazing. That is so beautiful. Oh, he really internalized that, you know, and there was this beautiful moment um, I had seen, I think it was a birth in Australia where the, the son is maybe three or four and he's in the birth pool and the mom is pushing the baby and the look of reverence and awe on that little boy's face was wow. just incredible. And I think this is how, this is how we do it. We raise the next generation of men to know the strength of a woman. Uh-huh. And for your daughters to see that too, what they are capable of. Absolutely. I mean, it's just amazing. Oh, thank you so, so much for sharing your amazing transformational story. It's so inspiring. And thank you for letting me. Yeah, it's so wonderful. How can people find you and follow you and get in touch with you? Is there, do you have any, I'm having a hot moment off of social media. I am. Are you? I am. There's only so much toxicity a strong woman can take, and I'm <laughs> administering some self-care. And Good. when I'm ready, I'm sure you guys will find me. We'll put a link there when she's ready. But no, actually, it's really nice to hear you're taking a break because being a new mom and a mom of four is enough. 
Right. Thank you for yep. making an appearance, gorgeous little man. He's really getting chubs now, isn't he? That mummy milk is doing its work. Yeah. Look at those cheeks. Oh, you're so gorgeous, Ari. Oh, thank you so, so much. Thank you.